0: I mentioned um, at the beginning of the service we're uh, going to embark this, at least for the first part of the summer and probably somewhat through August, on a look at um, the questions that we have about the Christian faith, maybe about God, about the way, why the world is the way it is or why it's not the way it should be. Um, and uh, we want to encourage you, as you think of things, to. we'll have this hopefully in the back every week so you can mark down uh, questions that you have. Uh, I would much rather talk about something that you're interested in than just something that I'm interested in, although I'm still interested in it. So, but I do want to let you know that I'm going to approach this um, from a, the position of a questioner and not from a critic. And uh, I see the difference as a critic often sees their job is to pick apart and define weaknesses and, and to dismember and destroy. And uh, if there's anything left standing, well, I couldn't figure out how to destroy that. And uh, not as a questioner. And a questioner, I think, wants to wants to understand. They're open. They're willing to be convinced, um, but they not always will be convinced easily. They want to think through. What are the reasons why I might not believe this? Why uh, should I look at this from a different perspective? So, and I just uh, before, I just remembered. Hans came up and mentioned to me that if there are teens from the twelve to fifteen that would like to head up or down to the class in the back, I think. Downstairs, outside, I think, is where they're going to go because it's much cooler out there. They can be free to go now. So if you're older, sorry, you can't go. So, oh well. But I'm going to look at this uh, passage and this time as much more from a, as we talk about, much more from a position of a questioner. And I do that because I believe that many people do not enter into the faith, do not embrace Jesus Christ because they have questions that they've never felt comfortable asking in the, in the church. Or when they ask questions, people say, how could, you, how could you ask that? How could you say that and say, oh, I guess we're not allowed to ask questions here. And so often we are not given the freedom to ask questions. And so I think for many Christians even, to be honest, they walk out of the circle of the faith like this. One step at a time, going backwards, because questions were not answered. And then ultimately you go, what What happened to John? What happened to Sally. Where'd they go? I don't know. Well, they had a question. It was a significant question, but they never felt the freedom to ask. And so they walked. They backed away from the faith. When there could have been an opportunity for them to think about and question. And and if you know anything about All Nations Church, we like to question things. We think that's part of actually what makes us grow. We, We think it's not always easy. But it's a wonderful part of what it means to be a Christian. And I guess I want to highlight the difference between being a critic and and a questioner in this way. Some of you may know the book. Uh, I think it's by Richard Dawkins, the, the The God Delusion. Did I get the name right? I think. Uh, many people read it. Um, many people were... Uh, uh, said, yes, you know, this is why I don't believe. Many people who have had encounters with Christianity kind of said, well, this is why I can't intellectually uh, believe it. I I did read part of the book. I didn't read all the book. To be honest, I gave up on it. Uh, Because in my mind, Richard was a, um, he was a critic. And he had created a view of Christianity, and an idea which exists in some pockets, but isn't the central part of what Christians really believe. And then, as is so easy to do when people are extreme and foolish, He picked it apart. But I looked at the Christianity he created, and I said, I don't believe that. So why would you pick apart something that you created so that people walk away? I just, so I gave up on the book, to be honest, because I felt like it was not intellectually honest about what Christianity really is and didn't really deal with that subject. We call that a straw man. And I don't know if that makes sense, but you build something that you want to destroy, and then you destroy it, and everybody goes, wow when really you haven't really dealt with the real issues. And not that there aren't questions. Not that there aren't hard things to understand. There are. And I don't want to pretend to you that as we go through this series that I will answer all of your questions, you'll go, amazing. How true. You might go, amazing. What a fool he is. That's fine. You know, it's, it's your relationship with God, not mine. I'm not responsible for you. You are responsible for you. But we do want to be a place where you can ask questions, where you can think, about questions, And if you read the Bible, and I hope you do, you'll find something really significant. The great people in the Bible questioned. Moses questioned. Abraham questioned. Gideon questioned. David questioned. The prophets questioned. How long, Lord? How long? Why is it all wrong, God? Jesus himself on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if we think questions are out of bound, we have gotta go find another group to be with because the group in this in this book, they've got questions. They also have faith, but they have questions, and they're not afraid to ask. For most of the time, now there were that few times when the, the disciples said to Jesus, they basically said, ah, "No, thank you, I don't want to ask." You know, um, it was the, it was he gave them too much content; they couldn't understand, it, and they were just a little. Um, freaked out about who Jesus was and what he was saying. But, but we believe here at, at this church that the questions help you to grow. And questions that are unanswered, unasked or unthought about or not reflected on actually will starve you and, and it will wither your soul. And so we want to be a place to questions. And today we want to come and we want to ask the question as we look at communion and as we look at the scriptures and we want to say this, what's with all the blood? What's with all the blood? I don't know if you caught it or if you read it. But for many people, this phrase that Jesus said as he took up the cup at the Passover meal, the third cup, and said, this is my blood of the covenant. (gasps) And he says more shocking things actually than that if you go to John 6. But if you read the Old Testament, I mean, my goodness, there is blood everywhere. In In the temple, in the sacrifices, God asked for it. It's... And for many people, and for some Christians, the whole blood thing is just kind of a, I'm just going to pretend it's not there. I don't like it. I don't read that part. Just skim through it. What's with all the blood? It's a real question. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 19, we have blood. Leviticus 17 has almost a whole chapter on blood. Okay? The hymns we sing sometimes, the old hymns, you know, blood, you know, talk about a fountain of blood. You know, the blood, the blood of Christ that washes away my sin. All true scriptures, but for many people, to be honest, and maybe for you as you hear these things and sing these things, you kind of might go, oh, how can we sing about blood? I want to try to take what, what is all, with all the blood. Why the blood? And I want to say this about blood, is this is a modern problem. Okay. This is a modern perspective that I just, you know, this question of what about the blood? Because 100 years ago or more, you know, 150 years ago about, back, almost everybody dealt with blood. Most people lived on farms. And if you wanted to have something uh, that didn't grow out of the ground, you encountered blood. And it was very normal. My, my grandmother grew up and they had chickens. And every once in a while, it was time for chicken dinner. Yeah. and. And uh, Colonel Sanders, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken didn't just show up and say, here's a chicken for you. You went out and you took care of things yourself, and everybody had chicken that night, and that's just the way it worked. And so this is a modern issue. And so, but here's the good news. We're modern people, and we're not afraid to think, right? We're not afraid to think about the past and what it meant. And even though we, don't, we get our uh, things for lunch at Cactus or at Auchan, um, we're not afraid to think about what is the significance of blood, not just for us, but for other people. Because, by the way, this book was not created or written for people who were born after 1930, okay, just so you know. It's kind of written for all people, all times, all cultures, everywhere. And that means sometimes we're going to read this book and go, yeah, that is right on. And other times we're going to go, what, is, what does this mean? What is this talking about? And we have to be modern people and not be afraid to do a little bit of a historical reflection. You know what that means? It means knowing what the history is. And actually, Europe, unlike the country I come from, um, is much better, to be honest, at history, at a reflection of what is our history, where has it come from. And so that's a great opportunity for us to use our minds to think about the blood. What does it mean? Jesus said this. He took the cup of wine. He gave thanks for it. He gave it to them and said, "Each of you drink it, for this is my blood," which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of many. Let's look at the context a little bit of what was happening when Jesus said these words because he wasn't just get up he didn't just get up one morning and said, "I'm going to I'm going to say just wake up and say, "This is my blood." He's talking and having a meal with his disciples called the Passover meal. And it is a Jewish meal that celebrates God's deliverance of his people way, way back in Egypt. And it was a reminder to them that they were to do this every year, that God would deliver them. And in that, if you remember that deliverance, God came. And the last plague that came upon the people of Israel was the angel of death. And the angel of death would take the firstborn of every child. But God said, if you have faith in me, if you trust in me, if you take the blood and put it on your doorposts, or they are maybe like this, who knows what the doorposts looked like back then. But if you put it on there, the angel of death will pass over, and that blood will save you. It will rescue you. Now, again, these people were not, they didn't have to go and say, where can I find some blood? It was really easy, okay? Very much a part of their lifestyle and living. And so those who had faith and trust in God went and they put blood on their doorposts. And those who did not, didn't. It was a sign of obedience and a sign of God's coming and protecting his people through the blood. When Jesus takes this cup and he raises it to the disciples probably, and he, he says, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant that God is making with us. In that Passover meal, there are four cups. Four times the wine is raised. And where it, God gives, but the reader uh, gives thanks to God for it. And this is most likely the third cup. And that third cup in the meal is the cup of redemption. The cup that says God is a rescuer. God is a restorer. And so when Jesus lifts that cup up, he's saying the cup of restoration, the cup of rescue is in my blood. That's where it comes from. You for years and for centuries have raised this cup, have said, you know, when is God's restoration going to come? And Jesus is saying, it's here. It's in my blood. This confirms the covenant that God has made with you. So whatever the statement of this is my blood means, it means that it fits into the story of God's rescue. What God is doing to restore and to rescue people. The second thing I want to think about is this is in terms of blood is that what is blood? you know to a doctor, they think a lot differently about blood than you and I do, don't they you know they the doctor does you don't go to the doctor and they go, "Oh, you have to take some blood, they just take some blood, you know it's a very natural normal part, and they find out a lot about you, but this is the reality if they drain all the blood out of you, what happens? It's over, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes you go to the doctor and they take a blood sample. You think they're taking all my blood. There's more. This is good news. But, but you're, the life of the person, is it's ultimately in the blood. You take the blood out, you've got nothing. You're gone. And Leviticus says that. Leviticus 17.11 says this. The life is in the blood. The difference between life, living, and dying is your blood. And that's why there's a whole chapter in Leviticus 17 about the blood. And how it should be lived. Because as we know, we live in a modern time. And we understand that there are a lot of blood-borne diseases like AIDS. And how you interact with blood is very important. Because life and death can be in the blood. So when Jesus is talking to disciples and talking to them, uh, to us, through them, he's saying this, this blood, my life, my life source is being poured out for you. Take and drink. He's not just saying, you know, Jesus isn't saying, but but when you weren't looking, I put some blood in the cup. Why don't you have it? It's a symbol. It's an idea. And for them, with the blood and the history and of God's people, they they understood that that oftentimes blood was a part of understanding this covenant relationship with God. But the life is in the blood. And Jesus is saying, in this cup is my life. It is given for you. This is something we know a lot about. We read books. We watch movies. And oftentimes in these movies, you have someone who gives their life for others. I think of the movie Harry Potter, the, the Harry Potter book series, and, and, uh, and that what, what happened? Harry Potter's mother and father, what, sacrificed themselves, didn't they? Harry and they died on for his behalf. The movie Saving Private Ryan, these men go off to save Private Ryan, and at the end, they all die except for him. And they kind of say to him, You know, live up to this, look at the sacrifice for you. The Matrix, one of my favorite movies, actually. But the last one, you may not have seen this, but where they're going up over into the machine world and they're going to deal with the, the bad machine guy. And, and in the end, Trinity knows it's going to cost her her life. But for the fact that Neo can live and can go on. There's this theme again and again. Any decent war film, right, has someone dropping on a grenade so that their comrades live, right? It's a theme. And, and when it happens, we don't, we don't go, oh, that was funny. We go, man. That's, I mean, those are the times, to be honest, when you're in a movie where you, you, you shed a tear. And you kind of go, someone is giving up so others can live. And that's what Jesus is saying as he says, this is my blood. I am giving up my life and my life source so that you can have life fully. The last thing I want to say about this is that this is all about covenant with God. And a covenant is a relationship that God invites us into and it's a, co- it's a covenant, it's a relationship between a lesser and a greater, God being the greater and us being the lesser. It's, it's a relationship when God says, I will bless you, and I call you to do these, if you're going to enter in this relationship, I call you to live and to do these things and to live in this way. And, and if you don't keep this covenant, then these are curses that will come upon you. Um, you can see this in Exodus uh, 24, uh, when Moses made the covenant, brought the covenant, God's covenant, to the people of Israel after they came out of Egypt. But other places as well where Jesus is saying not just I'm giving my life for you go have a great life he's saying I'm giving my life force to you so that you can be free but not free so you can do anything you want but free so you can live life within a covenant relationship of intimacy and love and obedience and flourishing with God that's freedom that's life giving Not just to be released to do whatever in the world we think we want to do. And so Moses read to the people the covenant that God had given to them. What what God would do. How they should live. And they said, yes, we want this. And then Moses asked them again, is this the covenant that you, you want? And he says, they say yes. And so he takes the blood from the sacrifice and he sprinkles them as a sign that they have accepted the covenant. Blood became a sealer, a confirmer. What did Jesus say? My death, my life given for you, which is represented in this cup, is a confirmation that there really is a covenant, a real relationship between God and you that he has invited you into to know and enjoy him. Now. Now you belong to God. And so he said to them, to these disciples, take and drink all of you, everybody, partake, everyone, because God invites you into this kind of covenant. So when we reject the symbol of blood, then we're oftentimes missing the reality that in the Old Old Testament, God said there's safety when you come into a relationship of obedience with me. We miss the idea that this is the life of Christ given for us he gave up his life so that we could have real life and that is a covenant relationship with god in which we are called to live under him for him and with him we're not free to do whatever we are want to do but we are free to live with him and enjoy him so what do we do what do we do with the blood what do we do? Well, some Christians have done this, and mo- probably the majority of Christians, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. I'm just saying the majority of Christians over history have probably just said this. Blood. Okay, interesting. I'm just going to sing the songs. And so they sing the songs, Nothing but the blood of Jesus, what can wash away my sins? And they don't think about, you know, that's my little song, sorry. Um, they don't think about that, and it doesn't bother them at all. They just sing about that, and they, they kind of, in their own mind, have come to grips with the fact that they're singing about the blood of, of Christ and it doesn't bother them and I think you know for many people that may be something that you you come to and you uh, if you struggle with this idea of blood maybe you're thinking I never struggled before you talked about it Paul <laughs> sorry <laughs> but but maybe you just kind of you you've been there you live there and, and so be happy be warm peace to you uh just go on and enjoy life it, it's great but but for some it's a real challenge and when you kind of go you know I can't honestly go there Paul I can't honestly listen to those songs and see those songs and come to communion and go, yeah, the blood. And therefore, what I would encourage you, this is to look beyond the blood. Look beyond the symbol to what it means. That it means the life force of Christ. It means the safety and security that God promises. It means that God has put up front proof, proof that he wants to have a relationship with you. He didn't just use words. He gave life. That's what it means. So look beyond the words to what the meaning is and why they were used. You may do something that, you know, uh, people have done for a long time, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You might take that song I just sang, and you might say, you know, what can take away my sin? Nothing but the life of Jesus. If you do that, I don't think there's a copyright infringement as long as you're singing it and we're not projecting it, okay? That's fine. You know, it's okay in church, you know, to change the words a little bit, to not be a stumbling block for you, but to be able to reflect your heart and the truth that God is giving to us. Maybe you decide some of those you can't, you just won't sing, but you'll think about it, And you'll remind yourself, you know, the blood is about life, about his life for me god has given us his word so that it might speak to all cultures and all times and as i mentioned at the beginning sometimes we might go man isn't this great isn't this perfect other times we're going to go what you want me to believe that and what i would encourage you when that happens to engage to ask questions and to do that with each other, to not be afraid. And if someone comes to you to a question that you, sometimes when people question you or bring a question, you might go, inside you might go, how can you think that? Please don't say that. You know, say, That's, I've not thought about that before. Or it's never been an issue for me before. But let me think about it. Let's talk about it. That way we grow together. Because if we're afraid, if we're really afraid to talk about the questions we have, we'll shrivel as people. And we will not be the community that God wants us to be. And when we come to this table, we will not understand the depth that is here because of what Christ has done for us. How sad it would be if we became so rigid that we missed the point. That Jesus voluntarily gave his life so that others could be free, safe, linked eternally with God and led into a life where we can flourish for the glory of God. That's the good news, even if we have a fear of the blood. Will you bow your heads with me as we prepare our hearts for communion? So. Father, we give you thanks that we can come to the table that you offer to us, just as you offer to your disciples. You invited us not just to come and have some bread and have some wine or some juice, But you invite us to come and remember that God has offered to us a most amazing gift of relationship and intimacy and freedom and flourishing. And that they weren't just words, but they were proved in the death of Christ. In his life force, yes, his blood shed. In his body, broken. So help us to come with humility Help us to come in amazement. And Lord, yes, even help us to come in joy. And because we say, yes, I want to live in that covenant with God, to let him lead and to joyfully follow him. Lead us, we pray, to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.